0: the simplest commercial baking resource brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florca. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to The Baked In Science Podcast.
1: Hello, bakers. Welcome to Bakerpedia's Baked In Science Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Florca. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into the world of chemical leavening. Special thanks go out to our sponsor, ICL Food, for sponsoring this episode. I will be having an interesting and in-depth conversation on leavening acids with Dr. Sharon Book from ICL Foods. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by ICL Food Specialties. ICL is a global leader in providing ingredient systems with over 75 years of experience delivering texture and stability to food and beverage products. Their complete portfolio of leavening acids contains all possible reactivities, including slow, time delayed, and heat activated for any baked good that requires chemical leavening. Ready to start innovating? Visit iclfood.com to learn more. Welcome everyone to our Baked in Science podcast today. We are talking about chemical leavening, with a foremost expert uh, contact uh, I have here from ICL Food Specialties. And uh, Sharon, if you could please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about ICL and yourself and your journey.
2: Thank you for having me, Mark. It's nice to talk to you and Bakerpedia and your audience today. Yeah, my name is Sharon Book. I have a PhD in food science and my master's in um, um, doctorate research centered around the components of cereals, of uh, starch and protein, gluten. And I was fortunate when I moved to St. Louis to get an opportunity to work with um, Monsanto, who is a legacy company of ICL. And I was tasked with trying to make bread without yeast, which was a novel concept, had not been done. Wonderful. <laughs> so I spent um, some time immersed in that. It was a very focused research effort. And I got a patent out of it, which is kind of exciting. And I got Within that research, I got to really understand chemical leavening and how it works and what it does. So that's how I got um, into all of into this business. Um, and then ICL is a little bit of an unknown company. We're kind of a new name in the food industry, although we've been around for a few years now. Um, our legacy does go back over 100 years. We started out with Monsanto, which then became Seleucia which then merged with the FMC phosphate business to become Astaris. And then that got bought by ICL. So that's kind of the U.S. story. ICL also bought another company in Germany called BK Gelini, who also have a very long history in um, phosphates. And so this all pulled together this great um, company with a, a focus on um, helping customers. And we've, diversified a little bit outside of phosphates, but I always looked at function and texture in food systems. So we're in all market segments of the industry. But today, because I'm talking to Bakerpedia, we're going to focus only on the um, our bakery applications, which are the leavening
1: acids. That is super interesting. That's one of the things I've always found so fascinating about ICL is the, the sort of the breadth of things, but then also that you have really good depth in each of these categories too. It's just, it's quite amazing. And, and really um, you know, for, for myself, when I worked at uh, ADM research in in Decatur, it was an interesting often to have you guys in um, because, you know, we would be having a meeting with you sometimes in the same room with other people who were working on completely non-food related things that they required phosphates for and stuff. And so, Mm Um, when we got to sit on those things, I, I, I found it always so amazing to to learn so many different uh, ideas and approaches and and things how things are used. Right, so you know, phosphates and and uh, leavening acids are sometimes for uh, some of our bakers a almost. Um, I don't mysterious thing, right? Um, And it's I think they they often don't recognize uh, everything that it causes or is used for, besides uh, simply just that it you know it makes your cake rise, right? So I was wondering if you could. Uh, help me share a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the reactions and, and stuff like, um, you know, we talk about Maillard reactions when it comes to crust and crumb co- color. Uh, and, and then, of course, also things like cookie spread. Um, and, you know, in as you mentioned, kind of yeast type processing or without yeast or combining with yeast. And uh, I don't know where do we start there. It's kind of a, I think crust color is an interesting one to me because I think so often the bakers completely overlook um, that uh, type of uh, thing as far as uh, how leavening contributes to that.
2: I would say crust color is never. It's kind of a secondary. I mean, yes, there's going to be an impact, but when you're choosing your leavening. You're typically looking more for, um, a lot of times people are, are not so interested in, they're, they're saying, this is what I want on the label, or this is what I want in the ingredient statement in some way, or this is what I want in the nutrition panel. And then you narrow down your options.
0: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
2: then once you try your options, then you take the opportunity to go, okay, how is that? Is there an impact on the crust or does it stay the same? Mm -hmm. does the spread change if I change leavening or is it more do is that that those the other components of the system having a bigger impact and I think most of the time it's the other components are having the biggest impact on the system as opposed to um, the leavening now -hmm. if you don't get the leavening right if your balance is off then you definitely will get impacts on your color if you have with um, chocolate cake is the best example, though, um, we like to talk about in chemical leavening.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: you know, to get that rich, dark chocolate um, appearance, you want a little bit of an alkaline pH. So yep. you adjust your leavening to, to achieve that, to get better color. Because um, you're essentially
1: further alkalizing the cocoa in a way, in the process, sort of.
2: Um, I'm not sure how much you're alkalizing the cocoa as opposed to just shifting that pH and then you get the mm-hmm. richer brown color. Okay. Um, you know, if you want a brighter white color, then you, you know, if it's a, a, a different product and you want it more white, then you want to go on the acidic side. Mm-hmm. A lower pH will give a brighter color.
1: So ah. it's not so much the
2: leavening itself, but kind of secondary mm-hmm. color.
1: Yep. Um, and I mean things on on the, the crust color, I mean, I've seen it mostly in in cookies. Uh it's 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 actually not the phosphate itself but it's the lack of phosphates where then the soda will brown more because now it's not being neutralized is that is that a correct assumption right
2: cuz then yeah you've got more alkaline it's you're yeah. you're raising your pH and so you're getting would get a darker yellow
1: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
2: crust or crumb color
1: Yeah. And to your point, as you mentioned about the balance, I mean, that was um, when when I was at ADM research, uh, we would do do tours with food science students. And um, one of the experiments we would have them do um, as part of the tour is to have them be in groups and make different cookies. And they weren't aware of what was missing or, or excess or things like that, so that then they could observe how the doughs all looked characteristically the same. Um, But once they were baked, they saw significant differences, right? Um, And that's where we would see things like if if the phosphate was missing, we would get excessive browning um, and slightly reduced spread. Um, Again, also where if the soda was missing and there was only uh, the phosphate there, only the leviting acid, then we would get less browning, but also a very tight cookie. It really wouldn't spread much at all. Right. Right. Um, And then with the balance, of course, you get everything kind of, perfectly fitting right and sort of that we've always found as as simple as that sounds to you and i that's always been a very insightful um experiment for especially for entry-level food science students and things and i think even sometimes Mm -hmm. for some bakers who have not gone through formal education or training and don't realize all of the 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 different importance of these effects of the components of of food Baking powder, as, as you know, as we we know it, right? It's uh,
2: like people at home, and they grab the wrong can. They don't know the difference between baking powder and baking soda, and they just grab something off the shelf and use it in their home cooking. And go, why mm-hmm. did my pancakes yeah. turn out kind of funny? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, You've, you you you'd be surprised how with all the chefs I know, how many calls I get about you know, um if, if I run out of baking powder, how do I replace that? Can I just use baking soda? It's like, yeah. well, sort of. <laughs> now in in combination with With like you mentioned your your uh, patent uh, um, on uh, chemical leavening on making a bread without uh, um, yeast, Um, and uh, can can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that something you'd be interested in sharing? Um,
2: I can go. I mean, generally, you know, it's it it really brought to the fore um, a thorough understanding of the system. Mm -hmm. It's not just the leavening; you can't take. Any basic system, whatever your flour, sugar, fat ratio is, put that together, throw leavening in and expect it to work.
0: Mm -hmm. You've got Mm -hmm. to
2: consider what is your final volume? What kind of crumb structure do you want? When do you want the gas produced? Do you need it up front? Do you need it in the middle? Do you need it during bake? How much volume do you need? Um, And looking at that whole system and that's you know, is the most difficult you know, system you could think of is bread. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So every other chemically 11 product is, is a little bit easier, but there's, um, but I always, when I talk to customers, it's always, what is your system? How are you keeping the gas in there? When do you want it? You know, you can, um, you know, I've done work with gluten-free products. And mm-hmm. if you forget to put the xanthan gum in, it's an absolute disaster. Yep. You know, we can have exact same formula, exact same leavening system, but if you don't have that xanthan in there to help with the gas retention, then it just doesn't work. Yeah. So, um, you know, and same that's with a lot of the emulsifiers and some of the cake systems, you know, they want to, you need to create that um, environment to hold on to the gas,
1: yeah. So that you're in a cake system, it's it's a lot about reducing surface tension so that the it can capture those bubbles w- without them bursting and uh, and basically give you that leavening then in the oven afterwards. Right? And you
2: want that soft texture, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want something real rigid to hold on to those bubbles. You want it to be soft and to get yep. it soft, but it doesn't break and that mm-hmm. fine detail. And then you know, is it a food service cake? Is it going to be Maybe undergo a freeze thaw cycle, or is it going to, you know, be transported? Yep. You know, what is what? What conditions is that baked product going to encounter, from when you start measuring the ingredients until the consumer gets it? You know, all impact. Um, your decision on the type of leavening and then the system that it's working with.
1: And and I, I like that you use the word so frequently is and, and rightly so that it is a system in that it's, it's not just a matter of throwing chemical leavening at it or removing it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's some sort of magical solution, right? Um, when we get, you know, asked questions about how do I improve the tenderness of my my cake structure? Well, it's not just about throwing one magical ingredient at it. it it's about looking at the entire system, and the leavening is very much a part of that system. It's very it's very key to all of that. Um, and speaking of those types of systems and things, I've I've often seen chemical leavening being used in combination with um yeast raised leavening. Now, sometimes it's it's something like say a uh, a frozen pizza where it's there as more of a secondary leavening system. Um but sometimes it's it's part of the the system and creating texture and everything, like with yeast donuts, I, I see a lot of the the manufactured yeast donut mixes where the baker just adds water and yeast. They often will have a chemical leavening system in there as well. And But is, is that more just as a function of regulating pH for the dough, or is that also to help give like a little bit of secondary leavening? Do you, have you had much experience with that? So I've worked
2: more with the cake donuts, which are, you know, mm. 100% chemically leavened. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those are very tricky those are very tricky yeah that was where i was going next yeah um yeah. because um there there is uh there there are so many different options on your your phosphates in terms of the uh rate of reaction and the uh neutralizing value and how much gas they produce and things like that and um so we see you know from a baker's perspective um they'll see a lot of what they refer to as the saps right? Um, and those are used a lot in, in cake donuts, I see. And it's it's the uh, sodium acid uh, pyrophosphate. And so there's different values, different numbers that are attached to that. I've seen, I think the smallest one I've ever seen is eight.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then they go all the way up the ones, the biggest one I've ever seen, the highest number is 40. Right. Um, so is there a general chart or a rule of guidance for you know, rate of reaction and, and all these kinds of things um, that and, and can you can you touch on that a little bit and explain those different values for us?
2: Yes, I definitely will explain that because that's probably one of the areas of confusion for people working in trying to make a baked product is figuring out the, the leavening. And um, yeah, the Saps are a great category of leavening acid. Um, the pyrophosphate, incidentally, simply means that it's like a dimer. There's two phosphate molecules, and that's mm-hmm. where the pyro comes from. I don't know who mm-hmm. named that, but it's kind of that's your trivia. So, though it sounds like a really weird word, it just means that there's two two phosphates.
1: Um, nothing to do with pyromaniacs.
2: <laughs> nothing to do with fire. No. Um, so. The numbers, each manufacturer over, you know, these were originally made in like the 50s, 60s is when these the um, chemistry of the saps was really being explored and developed. Mm-hmm. And each company at that time came up with their own numbering system based mm-hmm. on how they were doing testing. So there's no industry standard. Uh, and so uh, there's, you can roughly compare them, but you Now my standard tagline and I, it is true is you need to work with your supplier, Mm -hmm, but in mm -hmm. rule of thumb, the lower the number, the number indicates the amount of gas production in the bowl when you're mixing upon hydration. Okay. So the lower the number that you're going to get less gas during mixing and more gas during um, over time or during baking.
0: Mm
2: -hmm, So mm -hmm. um, if you're comparing, you know, the slowest one that ICL sells, we don't even have put a number on it. We called it RD1 for refrigerated mm-hmm. dough because it was developed for the dough in the can. Oh, perfect! Yeah. So we were somebody was clever many years ago, yeah, um, yeah. and came up with that marketing um,
1: got involved. <laughs>
2: um, so other companies obviously couldn't use RD because that was ours. So mm-hmm. they came up with a number, you know, mm-hmm. four eight seven ten, whatever the number is, mm-hmm. um, and then you know twenty eight. Is kind of the workhorse of the saps that's kind of the middle of the road it has the right balance of gas in the bowl versus gas during baking so mm-hmm. like biscuits and things like that are often we'll use a sap 28 mm-hmm. um so you get a little bit you want that bowl action you want that nucleation you need gas um produced while the product is being the ingredients are being combined
0: mm-hmm.
2: so that you get these small gas bubbles so then when the gas is produced later during the mixing or the baking process, then the gas from bake will, will the bubbles, will, that gas will migrate into the existing bubbles and expand them and give you your, your oven rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and about SAP 40, there's some 43s on the market. That's basically the highest number you're going to get given the chemistry of that molecule. It, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: you're never going to get a SAP 100, say that everything's in the bowl.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. You're always
2: going to get, we call it two-stage reaction with the saps. So that's kind of the rule of thumb, um, you know, of how to, to compare them. Um, And I'm not so worried about the numbers really is what does it do in your product? If you're making a biscuit and you get, you have two saps and if they both give you the volume and the color and the structure and give the gas production within the production system that you have when you want it, then it works.
1: Yeah. It's so like in a, in a, in a small, you know, in a retail type bakery situation where um, they would typically say sheet out their biscuit dough and cut them and let it stand for 10 or 20 minutes before they bake it in the oven. Then there, the, um, the system will be very different from something that is run on a manufacturing line and has to go from cut to oven immediately so that you need a lot more gas happening in the oven uh, in mm-hmm. the early stages and and things right. like that it also makes me think of um, you know when you mentioned cake donuts too is uh, um, in a roundabout way where as some of the things that is uh, there's a cake donut that is often referred to as old-fashioned um, now this it's, it's not a standard of identity uh, by by any means, but, um, you know, a pop, very popular donut chain in, in Canada called Tim Hortons that you and I are familiar with. Yeah. Um, they they make what they call a, a plain old fashioned donut. But in old bakers like me would just call that a ringer um, because all they simply do is they flip the donut early to prevent it from starring in the center. Um mm-hmm. And and you know and their leavening system is formulated so that it doesn't star, so it looks like a whole uh, con- intact ring. Um, but other old-fashioned donuts are those that. Um, they they probably come from I'm guessing here from old from the fairs and things like that where uh, or people at home making donuts where the oil temperature wasn't quite as hot and so that with the lower bake and the oil temperature is that the uh, the donut seals over and starts to uh, crack and open up later on in the frying process so it gives you this open cracked appearance on the crust on top mm-hmm. so part of the the trick with that is is then also to use a lower sap not just the lower frying temperatures so that you get that good crack later on in the bake um, right. is is what i have found and, and that is something then where again a baking powder won't won't really do is that you need to work with your supplier and and formulate for your product as far as as you stated you it's important to know at the outset what your results are what what are the key criteria the things that are most important to you in getting those leavening systems to work the way you want. Um, uh, I've, I've noticed often, um, not, not to put you on the spot here or anything, but just uh, often to help understand a little bit, there's differences sometimes between some of the other phosphates like uh, uh, monocalcium phosphate um, that is sometimes anhydrous and non-anhydrous, is, is that more to do with processing of the, the, the phosphate or is that, does that change in how it reacts as well in the system?
2: Yeah, those are both, they're chemically different structures. They're, okay. they're different molecules, the, mm-hmm. the monohydrate and the anhydrous version. Um, the monohydrate is, tends to, is very fast acting. So as soon as you mix it, you know, if you have soda and the acid and you add water, you're gonna get bubbles immediately.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: you know in, and that's that's good that provides a lot of nucleation the anhydrous um, we trademark it pyran other people have yes. other trademarks yeah. for it yeah. um
1: it is one of my favorites <laughs> okay oh, mm-hmm.
2: um it's um it, the anhydrous form and it has a delay to it so instead mm-hmm. of bubbling immediately upon hydration it takes two three three, four minutes to get hydrated and then and then release its proton to react with the soda. So it's a little bit delayed. Mm-hmm. So if you've got, let's like, say, a multi-step um, ingredients and you don't want the gas produced immediately because you don't have the system formed yet, you would maybe want um, the, the anhydrous version, the, that little bit of delay in gas production. So yeah, they're and, very different molecules. Each, each acid that we sell for leavening is just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, they also leave their residual salt in the system. So mm-hmm. like with the pyrophosphates and with the saps, especially the sodium pyrophosphates, um, they um, you know, can give what some people call it a, a pyro taste. It's a mm-hmm. metallic kind of mouth yep. coating mm-hmm. that not everyone is sensitive to. There mm-hmm. are people who eat that and don't notice it at all. Um, I have like three bites and I can feel it on my teeth. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some people really like it. Um, I've heard stories where people have tried to formulate that out. They've decided we don't want that particular note in their, their biscuits, say, for example. And, um, and if they take it
1: out, they get consumer compliance. So it's yes, like, well, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's always consumer focus groups are a very useful tool uh, yeah. when you're making changes like th- changes like that. Yeah, it's uh, and and I, I guess that's that's also to my mind, it's it's a lot like why in in baking powders where uh, monocalcium phosphate is used. That most commonly we see the. Uh, um, uh the the mcp monohydrate and rather than the anhydrous uh because the the consumer especially or people that are just using baking powders want that bubbling to start as soon as they get some some hydration happening and things like that, right?
2: Yeah, they would both be labeled the same. So if mm-hmm. you're just looking at a label, you just see monocalcium phosphate and you wouldn't yeah. know which kind which mm-hmm. specific reaction is going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Salts, uh sodium acid Sodium aluminum phosphate. Aluminum phosphate. Sorry. Sodium aluminum phosphate. Um, that's always been uh, one that has been debated a lot because of that term, uh, the chemical term aluminum in the name. And um, and I know I've dealt with in, in my years in the past, I've dealt with customers in Japan who absolutely refuse to allow it in their products. Right? Yeah. Um Can you enlighten us a little bit on that? And that, you know, to my understanding is that there really isn't anything harmful about it.
2: Yeah, there's years and years ago, there was a study, which I believe was a poor study that claimed an association between aluminum and Alzheimer's disease. That study was discredited and there is no good science to our knowledge that there is a direct link. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do not feel that there's any harm in the aluminum um also it's you know leavening acids are used typically at less than two percent in a baked good and they're you know maybe 20 you know each molecule within you know the sodium aluminum phosphate you know the weight of the aluminum there is very small so your ingestion rate is very low Mm -hmm. there is concern there are various countries in the and regions in the world that do not allow the use of aluminum um north and south america um and um other parts are are fine with it so it's still legal the our our government bodies still allow it to be used um wherever we want so you will find it in labels um and it's a really interesting molecule because it's a heat activated molecule and it has high neutralizing value you know you don't you can use less of that acid for the amount of base as compared to other acids Mm -hmm. So, so um, or leaven lined as we we trademark it, um, has a lot of functionality um, it 's very good if you 've got a product that is going to sit for a while before baking, um, whether that be you know a pancake mix that you might not you know you want to cook over a period of time mm-hmm. or a cake that might sit on the counter for a bit. The reactivity of that acid is gives great is is perfect to give a really good um, final product really good volume um and is uh is highly desirable for a functional standpoint and there's not a good replacement for it
1: there's mm-hmm. nothing
2: that acts quite like it yeah.
1: yeah um and you know kind of lastly one of the the things that i see a lot of especially um you know people who are newer to uh, um the, the commercial baking side of things and, and trying to approach things from a compo- component aspect is uh, cream of tartar. Um, I see that often used, um, as, as a leavening acid and it is, um, it is quite effective in, in some ways, but uh, there again, it, it's has its own advantages and drawbacks. Right. Um, and as I understand it, it is essentially a traditionally, it is something that was, uh, Basically from the wine making industry. Um, they scraped this this crystalline acid that would form on the inside of the barrels and and grind that up and and they call it cream of tartar i don't know i don't understand or know the history behind where where tartar comes from but um uh, it uh, um, it's quite an interesting uh useful at times uh leavening system and uh, do you guys do a- any of that at all or um is there anything you wanted would be willing to share with us as an advice
2: well i can tell you where tartar comes comes from
1: okay
2: um, tartar comes because it's tartaric acid oh okay grapes mm-hmm. so that's why they call it from oh the that's tartar. the
1: name of the acid okay yes <laughs> Tartaric. Um,
2: and yeah it has it tends to be a, a faster acid um, you know you don't get the same delayed reactivity that you would get with a sap
0: mm-hmm. or a
2: salt um, there's some perception that it's a they like people like that better on their labels mm-hmm. than a phosphate. Uh, phosphorus mm-hmm. is an essential mineral i don't think phosphate is a bad word on a label mm-hmm. but there's you know i can't change the consumer right now um i can't wave a wave a magic wand or anything and
1: yeah i mean it. sometimes it would almost be nice to have just the e numbers where they <laughs> that's a whole nother thing that's a whole other so story. another
2: acid that um i just want to mention too over in the last probably a little over 10 years there's been the development of the calcium acid pyrophosphates for leavening. Oh, cool! Yeah. Which is a whole other category. They're similar to the saps in the the way that they react. Um, the two stage. Um, they mm-hmm. have different flavor profile. I think the caps are cleaner, mm-hmm. um, and they do have a, they'll impact the the texture a little bit. They can make it a little firmer, a little softer, depending on what you're working with. Um, so uh, the caps are another. Um, the calcium acid pyrophosphates are another broad range of our category of leavening acids that um, are another option for formulators these days.
1: Very interesting. Um, so you and, see that. you know, I, I think we've, we've talked a lot about the uh, you know, as we talk about these different leavening acids and some of the, the advantages and, and things like that. And so, you know, in sort of a, um, I guess in a summary kind of sense, like, you know, how would you, um you know, recommend or or summarize and and say, saying to a baker what the advantages are to go with, with a component leavening system um, versus uh, using a a baking powder off, off the shelves type of thing.
2: Yeah, there's, I mean, a lot of the baking powder formulators have developed um, specific blends for certain applications Mm -hmm. And um, so that is a possibility. You know, it's not like you're just getting one size fits all. there, There's nuances within baking
1: powder. So they they should also, again, work with their supplier to make sure they have the right baking powder.
2: Correct. And, you know, if it exists, if if Mm -hmm. that's available, it's nice because all of your reactants are Mm pre-measured. And it's one thing for your um, people have to weigh or to add to your to your mixing. Um, The nice thing about. Picking the individual acids and and the soda is you can optimize the exact level. You can get more precise on your acid base choices. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe if you want two or three different um, acids, you know, if you can't get that in a baking powder, you know, you can do it yourself and you can opt to baking powders are typically neutral. You can get these, you know, a little bit more acid, or a little bit more base depending on what you want. Um, You know, if you wanted to look at a a sodium bicarbonate and say in a potassium bicarbonate as a, um, you know blend of bases you know you've got that freedom to develop what mm-hmm. you want it's you don't have the filler on your label so it's one less ingredient on your label so it's um you know kind of what works best for the system that you're working with and how you want to purchase ingredients
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I've, i have seen uh it's, you know especially working with an ingredient company um where they'll supply as you mentioned um, one of the ones that comes to mind immediately is for tortillas. There is a completely Mm -hmm. separate baking powder specifically for tortillas and it makes a world of difference in the the texture and appearance and and everything, right? Um, And, uh, you know, and and I so often see formulators just reaching for the the retail uh, baking powder when it is so much more advantageous to be working with an ICL, to get samples of those phosphates and then have the recommendations of your expertise and things to fine tune these things. Um, because there's other things um, in in terms of acids and things that are used for other tools, for other reasoning to try and extend um, shelf life, like inhibit mold growth or things like that. And they can interfere with the leavening system too. So all of those things are, or stuff where you guys have the expertise to be able to say, well, you, if you have that big whack-a-malic acid in there for that apple note and, and trying to drop your pH, it's also going to do this to your, your, your leavening system and things like that. Um, and so w- with some of the tools that we use while we're baking, um, are, are there things that you recommend or um prefer as favorites of things. One that I um, from early on have been using a lot, and I I still like to gravitate back towards today in quick R and D or production systems is uh, what is used in the uh, corn muffin industry and the self-rising flour industry is a um, it's a uh, an indicator solution um, that is essentially, it's a pale orange color, Mm -hmm. um and uh, and so it reacts then with the uh whether it be the phosphate or the the uh soda the um sodium bicarbonate or things like that and there again I, i go back to when i demonstrated this to food science students you can um, mix these up in a, in a dish and solutions. And not only can you see the differences between how much they bubble or don't bubble, but if you then put a drop of the uh, indicator solution in, you can see that the soda is a bright fuchsia um, so the more alkaline, you get more from orange to, to red, orange to red to fuchsia, and I presume it changes color further as it gets higher up in alkalinity. And then by the same token, the other way around, as it gets more acidic, it starts to shift more towards yellow. Now, it's not an exact science or anything like that, but in you know, if you're baking cookies or cakes and you want to see if... If something got messed up in the leavening, if it's balanced or not, you can put a squirt of this on the crumb after it's baked, and then you can see whether all of your soda has been neutralized or whether you have a lot of excess uh, uh, acidity, because it should be kind of orange if it's balanced. Um, so that's one that I'm familiar with. The, the other one, of course, that takes a little more time, but is much more precise would be a, a pH meter. Um so what what are your favorites and and or do you have any others that that I'm not aware of that we maybe should introduce to our bakers?
2: Um yeah, looking at pH is one way to know if your system is balanced or not or if it's a little bit off or you know maybe the residual acid on one from one leavening or another might give you a slightly different um final pH. Um indicator solutions are one of them. There's a couple different ones out there on the market. Um you know we, the indicator you mentioned was an orange to um, orange to purple. There's also other ones out there for that are more um, are more green, and neutral and have more purple, purple, blue tones. Um, so it just depends on on which indicator solutions, you know, like titration,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, titration solutions. They use a different indicator. It depends which indicator you have. Um, pH meters are, I think, yeah, you're right. They're more precise. They take a little bit more effort to create a slurry of your base product, you know, in water and then Mm -hmm. you know take some time to dissolve and and you can measure it that way. Yeah, it's hard to know, you know, without, you know, if you're making a batter, sometimes the viscosity will give you an indication of Ah, how much reactivity you have, or do you have, do you Mm -hmm. get the thickness in the batter that you want initially so that you get the final product? Does it cook right? Um, sometimes for they'll measure specific gravity of a batter to look Mm -hmm. at you know the weight of a certain volume of batter, if it's to see if there's gas production it doesn't tell you if you're, you're neutralized or not, but it tells you if you're getting the gas production that you want.
1: So having said that, is it then, um, you know, when, when, when I've worked in R and D labs, it's, it's always been as soon as the the batter came out of the mixer quickly grab a specific gravity, boom, just to see if you, you, you've whipped it up. So I guess having said that, is it probably worth letting sometimes in some situations let the batter stand for 10 minutes to allow gas production to happen? Will that change the specific gravity at that point at all? Or has enough already gas been released during mixing that you should see that already at that point?
2: It depends on your system. You know, it okay. depends what kind of leavening you're using. And if, you know, you're going to get more air incorporated. if your get- leavening is going to continue reacting during the sitting time, depending on what the mm-hmm. temperature and the, you know, what you've got, you may get more gas produced and your yep. specific gravity could change. But do you care? Mm-hmm. Does it make any difference to your final product if you take the batter after whatever your mixing yep. protocol is, put in a pan, and put in the oven, and it bakes? It's wonderful. You know, do you really need to measure it?
1: Exactly. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Very so good points. Yeah. I kind of
2: yeah. you know, yeah. I know a lot of people if you bake it up because you might get your leavening right, but you forget to add one of the other key ingredients in the system. You maybe forget a starch or an emulsifier or something then your system's not going to bake up and it has nothing to do with leavening, mm-hmm,
0: you know, mm-hmm. even though
2: that's, you know, that, so oftentimes just baking the system and knowing, knowing if you make the same batter all the time, you know what it looks like if all the ingredients are in there. And if something's missing, you can tell either by the consistency or the color or something that there's a problem.
1: That's fantastic. No, that's it's a huge help. I mean, um, you know, it, it's uh, there's so many different things we're formulating for these days. And, and, you know, as you, you mentioned uh uh, so many different things that you guys can can bring to the table as far as information like you know if if, um, if I'm making a, a gluten-free muffin or a gluten-free pancake or something like that um, yes it's it's still going to need leavening just like a regular one with gluten but as you pointed out some of the things the pitfalls is that if your xanthan gums missing or not the right amount that is going to really uh, affect things a lot um, do you help provide some insights on those areas do you have R and D people who or technicians who work with some of your customers on these things, or have base formulas that you recommend as as, as a learning per step or something like that.
2: Um, yeah, we can. We definitely love to work with customers um, anytime if they you know everything from they can come into our lab pre COVID. Um, oh, wow. And actually, and, you know, work with us and and work mm-hmm. on their formulas. We've had customers send us um, base mixes with no leavening in them, and then mm-hmm. we can look at adjusting the amount and type of leavening system and optimize for them to help them, you know, get a little speed up because you're right. Leavening is a very mysterious ingredient and a lot mm-hmm. of customers struggle with how do I adjust the amount? And if I change my leavening acids, what do I do and how do I do that? And they get soda and powder confused. So um, we always ask for as much information as they can possibly mm-hmm. give us um, As far as what their system is and what leavening they've looked at. And if they've looked at a baking powder, but they want to get away from that, how to do those calculations and work with them. And so it's, um, so yeah, we, we, we spend a lot of time helping customers Mm
1: -hmm. because these
2: ingredients are tend to be a little mysterious.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I, I love that you, you point out getting as much information as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I spent I lev, lived 11 years in the land of Lincoln. And uh, I I always love the um, the quote that is so often used is that uh, Abraham Lincoln is, is said to have once said that if he is given six hours to fell a tree, he will spend four hours sharpening his axe. And, and that's what we need to do when we're trying to troubleshoot or 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 help with development is that we need to sharpen our access first. We need to get all that information in, and then everything goes much swifter and and also much more beneficial for everyone too, in terms of the results. And I really appreciate all your time, Sharon. This has been fantastic. Um, what's the best way for, for bakers to get in touch with ICL? Is it through the website or...
2: Yeah, it would be our iclfood.com. So it's our our initials, iclfood.com. And there's a contact tab on that. And you can also follow us on LinkedIn.
1: Oh, perfect. Thank you. Okay. Very, excellent. Uh, is there anything else that I haven't addressed with you that you wanted to point out to us that maybe we should be aware of that I that I haven't captured? Or, um... No,
2: I think you've done a good job with your questions. It, it's very much understanding your system when do you want the gas produced getting the whole and um formulation correct. Um I'm in the But formerly the American Association of Cereal Chemists, which has now changed their name to Cereals and Grains. Mm -hmm. um, They have an active chemical leavening group, chemical Mm -hmm. leavening technical committee. And we have been planning a three part webinar series um, that debuts. um, I think it's April 21st is our first um, webinar.
0: Excellent. um,
2: This year, 2021. And we're going to talk about the basics. And then we've got a second one on sodium reduction. Um, a few weeks later, because that's a big topic, um, there's some legislation in different parts of the world. Um, companies are looking for that. Um, interesting. So we're going to address sodium reduction. And then the third webinar in the series um, is exactly what we talked about, the systems and what are some of the different ingredients that you can use to help build the system to get the best volume and the final texture.
0: That's one so point.
2: If, if you want to know a whole lot more about leavening, besides everything that's good in Bakerpedia. You yeah. can go to the Serials and website, find out information about the webinars and
1: find out. Perfect. I, I, will, um, I, I manage our community forum at Bakerpedia, and I will post a link on that in the community forum as well so that people can take yeah. advantage of it. Yeah, yeah Excellent. that's fabulous. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sharon. Thank you for all your time. Bakers, contact ICL for all your leavening needs. This has been fantastic. Thank you very much, Sharon, and uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon.
2: All right. You're very welcome. Nice to talk to you today, Mark.
1: This podcast is brought to you by ICL Food Specialties. ICL is a global leader in providing ingredient systems with over 75 years of experience delivering texture and stability to food and beverage products. Their complete portfolio of leavening acids contains all possible reactivities, including slow, time-delayed, and heat-activated for any baked good that requires chemical leavening. Ready to start innovating? Visit iclfood.com to learn more. My thanks to ICL Foods and Dr. Sharon Book. Thank you all very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the conversations. Please do let us know how we are doing and share feedback and suggestions on topics you are interested to learn more about. Look for our next episodes on gluten-free. Join us in the Baker Forum on bakerpedia.com for discussions, questions, answers, and innovations. Happy baking!